G'day, this is Mark Pesci, and welcome to This Week in Startups Australia. In this episode, we go back to the land and explore the exciting new world of ag tech. We'll begin with a chat to Roz Harvey, whose Tasmanian startup The Yield is making oyster farming pay. Then we'll skip over to Perth to talk to Ag World CEO Doug Fitch about how to build an international ag tech startup. Finally, we'll speak to Swarm Farm Robotics founder Andrew Bate about what farming looks like within the next generation. Twista goes to ground in this ag tech special. This Week in Startups Australia is proudly sponsored by Braintree, the easy all-in-one payment solution for your app or website, and Getworm, the place where startups and early adopters converge. In our Perth special episode at the beginning of the series, in episode two, Mac McFarlane blew my mind. Now, if you go back and listen to it, you can actually hear the sound of my mind being blown. It's right there in the podcast. Because he simply made an observation that data analytics can be applied to agriculture. And it blew my mind because it makes so much sense. It's, it's obvious to me that we have the capacity to run the numbers on any farm down to the square meter and optimize the yield for the farmer. And one startup that got their name from that basic observation is here today. Roz Harvey is the founder and managing director of the Tasmanian startup, The Yield. And Roz is about to help me get some illumination in my head on this meeting between the newest tech we have and the oldest tech we have. Roz, welcome to This Week in Startups Australia. Great, Mark. Lovely to be here. I should correct you, though. I am a Tasmanian startup, and I'm proudly Tasmanian, but actually I'm a global startup. We're a global business that happens to be based in Tasmania. Okay, I, I like that. So what is the global business doing? Okay, so really what we're doing is using Internet of Things technology to address the oldest problem there is in ag, which is uncertainty. And through reducing uncertainty, we can help farmers improve their yields Mm -hmm. and reduce their risks from things like, you know, weather events. So it's really all, and we purposefully called the business the yield because honestly, it's not about the tech. It's not about the data. It's about understanding what's the business problem and how do you actually then move from understanding the business problem, understand the solution, then you do the tech in that order, not the other way around. Right. Absolutely. Yeah. Because it's about, yeah providing a solution, providing a value proposition. And this is, I think, in a lot of ways, Australian agriculture is incredibly advanced and incredibly productive Mm. because it has been so focused on that for so long, right? Well, it's more than that. It's also, interestingly, because, you know, we have one of the most open agricultural systems in the world. Right, that's right. There's no price supports or Exactly. I mean, compared to Europe and the US, you know, it's extraordinarily open. And so it's meant that... Australia has had to be really competitive. And in fact, Tasmania, its productivity rates are way above Australia's and global rates because we've got even the added disadvantage that we're a small island at the, you know, southern, in the right. southern ocean. Right. Not only do we have to be really good at what we produce, we've then got to be good enough that we can make a buck when we have to then ship it around the right. world. Okay, so what specifically are you doing at the yield to bring IoT together with analytics for farmers? Okay, we actually started, interestingly, in oysters. Okay. All right. Um, Which is good because it's a high-value crop as well. It's absolutely a high-value crop. And the key to this, and we're very clear about our global strategy, is use Australia as a test bed. Um, If you can do it here, it's actually a very good place for this because we have very high labour costs. We have, you know... um, 
you know, driest continent on the world. Uh, we've got impacts of climate change already affecting us. Mm-hmm. You know, all of these things that the rest of the world is going to face in the challenge to, you know, increase the amount of food we have to produce to feed the planet. Right. Um, we have all of that in buckets, okay. including high labour costs, one of the highest labour costs in the world. So it's actually a great place to actually trial out de- um, value propositions with technology. Mm-hmm. and then, we- But you need to have a mind to how you then bring it to scale and reduce costs and make it more affordable across, you know, a broader, a broader addressable market. Right. So that's the global perspective so we started in oysters and you know one of the reasons we did is that it's actually a fascinating very clear value proposition so the issue is that in oyster production when it rains and you get runoff right what happens is the food safety regulator shuts harvesting down because right. it's dangerous to eat because bacteria end up getting exactly. flushed into the oysters so what we do is we um, use localized sensing technology when mm-hmm. measuring salinity temperature depth and we allow the regulator to open and close using localised data as opposed to wide area um, data. But the smarts in are in, and, and you know we've patented this technology, the smarts are in taking wide area network data, mm-hmm. combining that with localised data and then predicting the localised data. And then making that available to farmers to help them make better decisions and optimise their production. You should probably be harvesting today because if you tomorrow would be a bad day, things like that. Got it, got it, got it. So we actually create unique signatures for every harvest area right. using data analytics. Um, and So if I'm a farmer, am I going to get a text going, probably you should go and harvest oh, absolutely. or something like absolutely. that? Absolutely, absolutely. Yeah. And so um, that's exactly what we're doing because actually oysters are a very cool product because you can take them out of the water and they can last, you know, a week. Yeah. And so if we are able to tell farmers about when um, they're likely to be closed then they can get their product out and they can get it to market. And that's a really big deal. So what's your accuracy rate? Do you, you have, Are you hitting it or are you hitting it enough? Okay. So we developed the, the models um, actually on Hawkesbury River data, which mm-hmm. is publicly available data. And, uh, and we have now, we've done that very accurately. And now what we're doing is, is working towards a deployment across six different estuaries. We're partnering with the New South Wales Food Authority yeah. and the Tasmanian Food Authority. They've agreed to use our data mm-hmm. um, to open and close. And then that's exactly what we're doing right now and moving into the next stage is saying, okay, how quickly and accurately can we do this? We think within six months we can do it um, pretty accurately within a 24-hour period. Obviously, the further you go out, the less accurate it right. is, uh, but enough to really help people make a big difference. But, I mean, 24 hours should be for harvesting, should be enough in most situations. Yeah. How- but the cool thing is as you get more data, it learns. And so you get better and better and better and better at it. And, you know, really the key, and I think this is a lesson probably for IoT businesses generally, the value I think in IoT is actually in circulation of data. It's not in the single use case. The hard thing is the business model because you've got to get enough of a value proposition that folks are willing to pay and then to be able to build up the other solutions for other users, for other, you know, um, things that we're already working on and have pipeline uh, which bring you in revenue and revenue streams in future, and that's uh, the hard how do you, thing. How do you cross the chasm then? I mean, if that's the hard thing, where, uh, how do startups cross that chasm? How did the yield cross that chasm? Okay, I have a very good friend of mine who always said, you know, to do anything in the world, you've got to have dreamers, you've got to have doers, and you've got to have dollars. Right. And the key issue in startup land, you know, which we learnt, is the dollars. 
is how do you actually get enough money in the door to actually build the product that you can demonstrate the value proposition, that you can get customers, that you can get self-financing. All right, so a question you don't have to answer, but how much have you had to raise to bring yourselves to this well, point so far? Well, it's publicly available data. It's on the ASIC register. So um, we've actually raised $1.2 million and we have a 0.5 coming in shortly. Okay, so that's outside of what we would think of as seed round in Australia, yep. almost into Series A-ish land yep. in Australian terms, yep. right? Was it hard? Um, was it hard? Uh, no. Okay, well, that's, <laughs> well, that's a good sign. I really, well, of course it's hard. It's always hard. Yeah, yeah. but I, it wasn't, <laughs> it, I mean, if you're getting it, it wasn't clearly too hard. I know. Well, look, it, it was, the thing is, I think the key to this is having a really, really clear business plan, mm -hmm. a very clear value proposition, what people are really investing in. The first round that we raised, it was about 770k and really people were doing it on trust. It's our classic friends and family, right. is that they believed in the leadership team, they believed in our vision of what we were trying to do. Right. Um, we had experience of working with each other. Um, you know, I put in my own cash, as you do. As you do. And yes, I understand that. So, um, and then that gave us enough momentum to actually get a prototype, which effectively we kind of hacked together, really. Mm. And now what we're doing is taking it up to that next level, which is getting it to that commercial grade. So do you see this as being something that may be deployed across basically all of the oyster farms in Australia within a year or two? Yep. And then what happens? Uh, well, look, there's two ways of going with this. Obviously, the, the one, you know, realistically, you either have to sell this on the value proposition mm. farmer by farmer mm -hmm. um, or you work with the industry and the regulators and if you have enough of a value proposition for the industry as a whole to say look this really makes sense for us right. to do this as a whole um, so look I think there's many different ways but really the 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 um, opportunity is definitely a global opportunity uh, and whilst the, the oyster industry is a you know, a $100 million industry in Australia, which isn't huge, it's a $1 billion industry, you know, once you start going globally. Yeah. And then if you pivot into, you know, aquaculture and agriculture, right. you suddenly got a huge market. And the key thing is really what we're really into is platform technology. And so we think about our business as being an end-to-end -end solution that goes from sensors to, you know, IT platform where you're ingesting data from localised data and wide area data and every other sort of data then data analytics, and then user interface, all four working together. How did you as a startup establish competency across those four different domains? By collaboration. And this is, I think, for me, a really important issue. I'm not a technologist. I always tell people that. <laughs> I'm just good at getting shit done. <laughs> and, 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 that, and that will make up for a world of other weaknesses, yeah. I love technology, and I'm a technology junkie, but I'm not a technologist. Right. And so really, um, you know, what I really focus on is creating a strong, clear, compelling vision of what it is we're trying to do as business mm -hmm. to get the people who are really clever <laughs> to work with us. Right. And, you know, from staff through to, you know, business partners to the collaborators and really making all of that work together. Because I, I really um, think technology has the ability to transform our lives. It has a, the potential to transform the planet, to give us a whole different future. That's at the core of the yield. You know, our mission is to feed the world without screwing the planet. That's going to take a lot of very clever people to work together. So to do that. let's talk about this because I know something of your background. You've done a lot of work in developing countries. You've done a lot of work with NGOs. Where does the yield have meaning for a farmer who's growing maize in Kenya? Hugely. How? Absolutely hugely. Tell, tell us. Well, because farmers growing maize in Kenya, just like farmers growing coffee in Nicaragua, right. have exactly the same issue. They're all dealing with uncertainty. 
you know, it's an incredible thing to be a farmer. They're incredible risk takers. You yes. know, you put stuff in the ground. And you pray. You hope like hell. <laughs> yeah. And, you know, you've got people providing you advice and you try to make it work. And so it's the same experience throughout the world. What we have to be able to do is get the technology so it's accessible and that we can drive down the price. So, you know, one of the things that, you know, I've worked in tech in global context for a long time is that you really have to be clear about who is using the technology, who's the end user. Right. And making user interfaces as intuitive and simple and focused on the decision that people are actually having to make right. is the key to this. And so, you know, that's not so different in Australian farming. You know, like in the oyster industry, you know, our target, our, our, our market, the people who are going to use the tech, maybe not pay for it, but use it to get value for the business, are the farmhands. Right. And, you know, we're not talking about folks with PhDs. We're talking about good, solid, intelligent people who understand their industry but, you know, maybe I'm not going to relate to, you know, graphs and yeah. things that are done in a mathematical abstract way, which is a way a lot of data is served up. Right. So a lot of that is, is about translating the, the sensors. I mean, I, I, I definitely can imagine five or ten years from now that the farmer in Kenya or in Nicaragua will be out there with his or her smartphone. There we are. Well, well, exactly. But but that that smartphone will be presenting all of the integrated sensor and analytics data for them. Yep, yep. I think that's absolutely going to happen. And I mean, if in the international development world, you know, technology is being used to leapfrog it in the same way that, you know, people went straight to mobile and never had to build copper systems, right. copper wire systems for phones. Right. It allows leapfrogging. And so technology brings this capacity for developing countries to leapfrog. And so I'm really interested in that. Um, also issues around global supply chains, how all of that works. You know, for example, the World Bank, the International Finance Corporation, it invests billions of dollars into agribusiness. Yes. And just like in Australia, where you have a food processor, they're working with a whole lot of suppliers trying to get their productivity up, trying to get their supply right so they've got exactly the right capacity in the processing plant. Mm -hmm. That's hard. Mm -hmm. That's really hard to do that well. And so, you know, people are increasingly looking to technology to say, how can we better optimise performance in our supply chains? Do we see a world in 2030 or 2040 where essentially every aspect of the agriculture system has been comprehensively optimized using techniques that you're developing right now? How many years have I got? <laughs> Let's say 25. We'll go out to 2040. So 25, a generation. Absolutely. Absolutely. But, you know, I want to be clear, it's not going to be the yield of some monolithic organization that's doing that. <laughs> the, the we new, have a The new very, ADM. Yeah, no, no. I don't want to be Monsanto. <laughs> um, what we really want to be is actually one of the core values of the business is that we work with the best and we share the reward. And so we really think very deeply about open ecosystems and how we can actually create platform technology that others can actually build into. So let me give you a really concrete example. There are so many folks out there doing fabulous stuff in IoT and ag, right. you know, but solving one little problem. Yeah. Okay. So how do I, you know, monitor the chook or how do I, you know, yeah. solve a problem of uh, irrigation optimization on a particular crop or, you know, people have just come up with the most amazing ideas from real life experience. Mm -hmm. But if we try to take every one of those in a silo to market, you know, you just would never be able to, to make it happen. Yeah. And so what we're really interested in is platform technology, creating channels to market, 
um, doing that really well and opening it up and letting other people create value from it. And I know that's what everyone says, you know. Because well, it's an ecosystem play. It's, which, an, it's an ecosystem play. Which for an ad company is kind of <laughs> makes sense, right? Absolutely. And it, it's actually, I firmly believe that the value is in the data circulation. So let me go back to my oyster example. So, you know, Justin, who uses our app down on Barilla Bay to produce some of the world's best oysters, mm. You know, I can give him all the data about what's happening in his water right now and in the wide area network, but right next door, you know, with Houston's that's produced bagged lettuce for Woolies, you know, knowing the soil moisture, that's one of the key determinants that actually affects what Justin's runoff is. Gotcha. And so it's actually ecosystem in a different sense of the word right. in an environmental ecosystem yeah. because farming operates in biological ecosystems. And so this idea of siloing data isn't just a bad business practice. It's bad for the environment. It's what's well, bad for the environment, but it actually gives you worse data. It gives you less data. Yeah, yeah but, but, <laughs> but, but worse data because the more data you have in that sense, the yeah, more complicated. Yeah, the more accurate, particularly in the yeah. data analytics, particularly in the data analytics. That, that's really, really, um, I think, incredibly important. So, you know, this, of course, immediately brings you to the issue about privacy and mm. data and mm. who owns the data and... You know, how how do we actually structure businesses in the IoT world where if data circulation is key to the value proposition, well, what does that look like in a way that's respectful of people? And so we spend a lot of time thinking about that problem too. Wow. So we've gone, we've gone all the way from oysters to privacy for people hmm. over the course of this. Roz, this has been, as I thought it was going to be, completely a mind-blowing introduction to ag tech in Australia. Thank you very much for being on This Week in Startups Australia. No problem. My pleasure. Hi, this is Mark Pesci with a few words about Twista Sponsors Braintree, code for easy online payments. Developers around the world have used Braintree's V.0 SDK as a simple way to accept PayPal, credit cards, debit cards, and whatever's next. With a single, scalable integration, you get robust fraud protection on over 130 currencies around the world, making your global expansion a snap. Using Braintree is as easy as integrating a few lines of code, but don't take their word for it. Try out the sandbox and see for yourself at braintreepayments.com twista. So in this Birth interview that I keep on referring to with Matt McCraw, and he was talking to me about a company that he had funded called AgWorld, which had really managed to marry data analytics to agriculture. And this was the thing that got me thinking about how important ag tech was going to be to the future, not just of agriculture, but to agriculture in Australia and around the world. And it is now my pleasure to be sitting with the founder and CEO of AgWorld, Doug Fitch. Doug, welcome to This Week in Startups Australia. Yeah, thank you, Max. Good to be here. So, so tell me a little bit about what AgWorld is doing. We are a uh, information management system for farms and agronomists and retailers uh, who uh, basically form a, what we class as a, a community or a data community around the farming business. Mm -hmm. So they're all the people involved in crop production and we focus heavily on crop production. And uh, we look at the actual management of information from a capturing the data with it, that, it, that it measures what actually happens in a farm's day mm -hmm. uh, against its agronomic and financial risk 
we capture that information or assist farmers in helping cap that, capture that information and share it with their agronomist. And their agronomist is obviously making um, uh, recommendations and uh, decisions with them that uh, have a huge bearing on their their production outcome on their financial risk. So this is a decision support system. Yeah, that's data driven. Yeah, it's data driven, and it is a decision support system. And uh, we are connected into some of the big suppliers as well. We have a library that actually enables the farmers to reference the latest technologies in order to make those better decisions. Um, and manage their risk. So that's, that's what we do. So, so it's, it's not just decision support, it's actually you're augmenting the capacities by connecting them to these other support systems. Yep, it's a collaborative system. The whole uh, of Ag World is a collaborative system where everyone is sharing that information with one account, which is that one farmer's account, mm -hmm. with all of those bodies inputting into that to surface all the information that they share in order to bring the full picture together and make that decision. Okay, so that's that's the theory of what you're doing. Can you give us an example of how that's working for farmers? Yeah, well, I mean, it came out of our own issues at our own family farm, but the, um, and so I could use that as an example yeah. where we had uh, five disparate systems, uh, an accounting system, spreadsheets, paper, and uh, machinery. And none of that information uh, from any of those sources is collaborative at all. It's right. all isolate. So if I want to make a take a view uh, on on our own farm, or my brother-in-law wants to on his farm, it, it's more like, well, okay, what information do I have about that one field? And so what's happening at the moment with Ag World? They're actually between he and his brother, they're actually able to uh, to uh, look at their iPads in field, see their map, mm -hmm. see what the crop is, see when the crop was planted see what stage the crop is at, uh, see what nutrients have been put on the crop and uh, and look at the actual yield potential, look at the amount of rainfall that's happening and, and what soil uh, holding capacity that, uh, uh, water holding capacity that soil has and then actually ascertain where their yield's going to probably finish and whether to have more, put more inputs on. And so they're actually able to do that all in one location on the iPad as a mobile device, which is what farmers use. They're, right. they're people who want to be in field Absolutely. Know, and doing the job. Absolutely. And, well, and this is, and this is a, I think, part of the, the issue we're going to see also is that mobile coverage isn't necessarily the greatest in a lot of rural Australia where the farmers no. are out in the fields. And so we actually have to think about that when we're giving farmers these kinds of tools. Yeah. Okay, so how did you as an individual sort of cross the chasm from being a farmer to now being a startup well, I, I was actually more of an ostrich farmer, so we, I was working with my in-laws at the time. I own my own farm now, which I lease to my brother-in-law. But I guess our 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 big thing is, um, I guess the, it was the when you see that the margins are so narrow for farmers, no. yet the the actual uh, risk that they put forward every year based on the variable of water, right. Um, which which is very variable here in Australia. Which is you know we're we're, we're a very arid country yeah. with a high lot of level of variability. You know the potential is huge, but the risk is high, and but and the the cost to roll the dice each year to do that is high. So what we're trying to do with the system is you know I looked at it and said well how can we actually look at that and know exact our exact position uh, agronomically and financially before we continue to put more inputs in and, and run the risk higher? How can we get our gearing lower 
as an entity and that's that's really where we we began the focus and and so what you want to do is you look at well if the season is going to finish short or looks like it's going to be dry you're obviously not going to get the yield or if the grain prices are lower which mm. we're subject to now that we don't have our single desk in that yeah um you know it's a big issue for us so so you want to be able to take the emotion which a crop is an emotional thing to grow. You're, yeah. you're out there planning it. It's your baby. It's your baby, right? And, and there is a high level of emotion and farmers run high stress levels uh, when throughout the season and they do their best and they're, they're wearing 10 hats. They're trying to be the mechanic. They're trying to be the, the scientist, the accountant. You know, and all okay, that. it's actually funny. Now I'm starting to understand the, the, the passage between farmer to startup because startup, yeah. you also wear all different hats. That's right. So we, we moved into, well, how can I solve that problem? And we think the issue for the, the Australian farmer is very much around if we can make them more profitable, we're going to be able to feed more people. And right. you can feed more people from grain than you can from an animal. Sure. And with the land degradation going around the world, you're going to need analytics to grow more production off less land. Okay, so you've, uh, do you sell this as a service now? Is it sort of... It's... Yeah, we're a software as a service. Right. We're one of the first to software as a service in the ag industry. We're the first with cloud in the ag industry. Um, no one knew what that was apart from a cloud in the sky. Um, we were the first with a mobile online offline app. You mentioned the issue with... Um, Right. mobile cellular range we we solved that problem but yeah i mean that's that's okay so then what is the, the the sales proposition do you sell to individual farmers do you sell to groups of farmers how does that work for you we sell to the we sell to private agronomists uh, retail agronomists who are the advisors to the farmer okay and we sell direct to the farmers as well mm-hmm um, so you have large-scale farmers, uh, farming entities, so they're, they're becoming more of those. There's a lot more superannuation funds investing in agriculture now. Um, and there's a lot more um, security of farming land going globally. So you're seeing a lot more international funds coming into Australia. Mm. Same in the US, same in South Africa where we are, same in New Zealand. And so, yeah, I mean, that's we sell to the whole value chain. We have a different service offering. And the strength of that, I guess, is that we're broad and we can offer something that's fair and equitable to each party involved in that data community where they own their own intellectual property, but they provide the service and it enhances their service. And, but at the same time, we're centred around the farmer mm-hmm. and his result. So if we were to sum our business up, we're a business that we've worked out now, message has changed over time, but it's the, the strategies remain the same. We scale businesses. Okay. Yes. That's what we do. Your your growth hackers for agriculture. Correct. So uh, I think that's a very. I mean, from startup land, that's a very simple proposition. A farmer might go growth hacker. What are you talking about? Yeah. But you help them scale up their business. Yes, yeah. and that's through using your resources better, which is people and finance and machines, right. and and then you've got your processes. So how how do we go about doing our activities each day on the farm more efficiently? And then metrics, which is your analytics. Well, what was the result? If I planned that, right. how did the season unfold and what was my result? And then you go back to what can I do better the next year? Right. Farmers haven't been able to do that as well and as analytically as they can do now thanks to technology. Yeah, well, I mean, they've, it's basically been memory and maybe you it have is. all these piles of data. And you've got some awesome remote sensing coming into the industry. You've got other partners. The data standardisation is becoming better, so collaboration with other third-party softwares is becoming better. 
APIs are becoming more prevalent right. and uh, more standardised in the ag industry, which wasn't before. So uh, that's with machines, automate sensing. Parts. So, so are you building uh, your software as something that can be fed into by lots of different data yep. sources? Yeah, we do. We choose our partners. I mean, they've got to bring value to the industry, mm -hmm. to the farmer, mm -hmm. and um, and and most do. Um, so we, but we have done that. Uh, CSBP in Western Australia is one of our parties that we work uh, third party with. We have another company, Precision Cropping Technologies, who do precision agriculture. Mm -hmm. uh, we don't want to build all that stuff that they've done, but we bring it in and we represent that data in our system. So they're a third party supplier to and us as well. Do you find, because Ross Harvey talked about this, there may be a bit of argy-bargy between people wanting to sort of have all the data and not wanting to share it, even though there's more value to the farmer in sharing that? Yeah, there is. Um, I think what you've got to realise it is if, if the farmer goes home, we all go home, right? Yes. So, and the farmer has a right to that information. And as long as you do the right thing by people and you're fair and equitable, mm. uh, that's not an issue. Um, there was a lot of, oh, well, you have to use our program and we're going to lock you in and we're right. not going to share with that other program because they're a competitor. Right. People realise now that actually it's not just the information that is of value, it's what you do with that information. Yeah. And it requires more than one party. It requires multiple parties to actually engage and use the analytics correctly across the community. So we're seeing a trend toward opening all of much, all this much stuff. wider. Even with the large machinery dealers like John Deere, right. they're, they're much more open than they were five years ago. That's that's clearly going to be good for folks like you. Now, you mentioned just so it is an offside. You're already in South Africa. Yep. So you're an international business. How, how old were you before you decided you wanted to be an international business? Yeah, well, we took a bit of a punt on that one. And uh, South Africa, <laughs> we went there with a distributor. Right. Um, I think it's, a, it's been okay, but I think it's always more successful to go there yourself. Mm. We went to the US uh, in 2012. So we, were 2000, we started in the end of 2009. We went commercial. The, right. um, we designed in 2008, commercial 2009, December. And then 2000, late 2011, we went to South Africa. January 2012, we set up in the US and uh, we've just launched there two and a bit years later commercially preparing for that market and put our own team in. So that's the difference. South Africa is a distributor. Right. Good, but not as good as having your own local team there So what, your product. I mean, the, the US is sort of, that's going to be the big commercial market in agriculture. Yeah, it is. So is that why you went there? Yeah, it is. Um, I mean, that's a massive market. Right. Um, you know, there's uh, 50 million acres of corn, which is the size of the whole arable area in Australia. Yeah. That's just one crop. Yeah. Well, um, America doesn't have a large desert sitting uh, in the middle of it. And, and, you know, one thing about Australian technology is we are really advanced. We've got some fantastic, innovative people here, but it's born out of necessity, mm. right? The U.S. is not necessarily as born out of necessity. Well, they're about to run out of water, so they're going to discover some necessity yeah. over there. Yeah, there's $500 million spent on water in California this year, so uh, just on technologies around that. So, yeah, it's interesting. So do you... I, did, was it a hard decision for you to make this decide you were going to go international or did it seem very natural around the evolution of the business? I think because we got a very quick foothold in Australia, we were pretty bullish. I think we probably went a little early. I mm -hmm. thought my advice to others would be don't be in too much of a rush, get your resources, your company culture, right. your resources and your processes right before you move. How many employees do you have now? So we got 46, we okay. moved around 52 um, in a few months' time, um, there's about 
35 of them here and the rest are spread either in New Zealand or in the US. Um, so yeah, but getting, getting ready to scale and not almost ready to scale when you go is very, there's a very big difference in your result and the stress in your life. So we've been through that journey, yeah. um, but uh, it did help us establish good company culture, which we spend a lot of time on. And that's probably as a startup, one of the greatest things that you can do for your business. What did you stress when you were in that culture? Uh, that culture side is all about uh, the language you use around communication, mm-hmm. uh, how you have meetings, how, when you say you're going to take action, slippery promises, making sure they don't occur. So owning, 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 owning your stuff, bringing accountability in without fear. Right. Um, you know, there's a tendency, people who are in startups usually like the free and easy and rah rah type approach. Um, but in the end, the real world requires results and you've got to deliver against contracts and things like that. So you've got to build a culture that is accepting of that and find a pathway. Right. And we've developed what we call the Ag World Way. So we're not purists in Agile, you know, in the way that we do our software development. We, uh, we've, we've taken the best bits of that right. and made it work for what we do. And we constantly continue to make that evolve. All right. What? Looking your crystal ball. Last question. What do you see as the future for agritech in Australia? You know, is it going to be one of the things in twenty years we'll look back and went we built a national powerhouse out of that? I think if the government get behind it, and we've had, you know, it's, we've been fortunate the government have been behind and it. Well, government's all about startups now, so yeah, you're in the right place they, there. They, they would be silly not to really push ahead with that, um, but. That's where we can't continue to dig stuff out of the ground as a mining resource, right? We've got to put it into action. And you're a Western Australian yeah, saying yeah, that it's practically right. practically yeah. heresy. But we've we, we have to invest in tech. I think when when we look back in twenty years time, we'll be saying that was a good thing to do. That was the right thing to do, because in the end we won't be eating iron or we'll be eating food. And and that's what we're gonna be doing, right? And and there there is less less country to do that and uh, the risk to the farming community is high and we need to uh, help them with that and there's some like I say there's some great startups in Perth there's great startups in Australia there's some great ideas born out of out of necessity and that's why we're doing well and the government need to harness that Doug thank you very much for being on this week in Startups Australia yeah thank you very much Hi, this is Mark Pesci. I just want to say a few words about Twist's sponsors, GetWarm. Startups need to attract early adopters before they reach out to a much larger crowd, and GetWorm is the place where startups and early adopters converge. It's the platform where startups can incentivize early adoption through the creation of perks. Those are rewards for being part of the all-important first group of users. If you've recently launched a startup or are planning to launch one soon, sign up as a startup on GetWorm and gain access to a growing user base of early adopters from all over the globe. The early bird gets the worm at GetWorm.com. For more than a century, machines have been put to work on the farm. And those machines are the reason that maybe 1% or 2% of Australians feed the other 98 or 99% and manage to export a whole lot more besides. And many people may not realize it, but a big bit of farm kit, like a harvester, it's already technically incredibly sophisticated. It's wired to the mobile network, it's wired to the GPS, and it uses that so that it can cover pretty much every square meter of the field. 
And right now, farmers are sitting in those vehicles, but pretty soon those vehicles are going to get smaller and they're going to get smarter and they're going to be farm robots. One of the pioneers of farm robots in Australia is in the studio with me to talk to Twista. Andrew Bate is the founding director and CEO of Swarm Farm Robotics, a Queensland tech startup that wants to bring robots to the farm. Andrew, welcome to This Week in Startups Australia. Morning, Mark. So tell me how the idea developed. Well, I guess, Mark, for me, I spent a lot of years as a farmer um, out in the field, you know, right in the guts of agriculture. And I guess, you know, if you look at the last 20 years of probably productivity gains in agriculture, it's all been about getting more done in a day. It's been about bigger machines that could do more of the same but do it in the same day. So there was labour-saving devices. It was this kind of get big or get out thing that, you know, as uh, we had the mining boom through Australia, you know, there was an even bigger drive to do more in a day because mm-hmm. labour was so hard to get. Mm-hmm. You know, and, and in the time I've been farming, which is about 17 years, you know, the, the size of the machines that we, we were using got, had sort of gone three times larger, mm-hmm. three times heavier and three times wider. And yes, they could do three times more in a day. But for me, you know, out in the field watching what we were doing and, and, um, and just what was happening in agriculture... I realised that, well, you know, we can't really go much bigger. And the bigger we went, the more we were compromising. These big machines were, were starting to compromise the job we did in the, in, in the field. And, it, you know, it was more that, um, is this actually the best way to grow crops or are we just trying to save labour here? And that's probably the big thing. And the other thing was um, one of the really big drivers of sustainability and also production increases in agriculture has been the use of herbicides. I mean, years ago, we used to plough our paddocks to tear all the ground up to kill weeds and mm. things like that. You know, in in the in the late nineties, I guess the big revolution came through of, of of what we call zero till farming, which was about um, about killing weeds with herbicides rather than ploughing the fields. Now, you know, the word herbicide can bring negative connotations, but the word ploughing means soil erosion. So mm. it was a trade off for farmers: do we cause soil erosion by ploughing our fields, which mm. no farmer wants to damage the soil or, or degrade the environment, or can we use herbicides to control the weeds and be more sustainable? And that's the choice that farmers went to in droves, and that increased our productivity. It, um, it made us more sustainable and, it, you know, it was it was fantastic. But the big thing happening now that, you know, these herbicides and things that agriculture relies on, the weeds are becoming resistant to them. Same as the hospital system, right. the, your bacterial infections are, are becoming resistant well, to the because the, the plants that are resistant to herbicides are the ones that will live and they will pass their seeds on and so on and so forth. That's right, yeah. And, you know out in the field and you know working at midnight in tractors and things like that watching what we're doing i could see we're heading for a cliff face we mm-hmm. couldn't keep doing this we're going to fall off the edge so mm-hmm. so that was probably the big thing for me you know out there watching what was happening realizing we couldn't continue in this way all right so then how are farm robotics the answer to that well i guess the misconception out there is is that we're trying to automate agriculture we're not we're actually trying to grow crops in new and better ways. Mm-hmm. We're not trying to automate the tractor. We're not trying to automate the sprayer. We're not trying to automate the harvester. We're not trying to do more of the same. What we're actually doing is enabling new ways of farming. We're creating new farming systems that can create food in more sustainable ways mm-hmm. with higher yields and you know less, less impact on the environment. So what we're seeing then is rather than if you go back 150 years, you have a whole bunch of people in the fields working the soil all the time. You go to today, you maybe have one farmer sitting in a great big combine doing whatever it is. 
on the field. And then you, if you go 20 or 30 years into the future, you have a field where there's just farm robotics everywhere. Is there a person there, or is, is the farmer now back in the farm actually sort of monitoring everything? Oh, hell yes. You know, we need more people in agriculture, not less. This isn't about labour replacement. This is about getting farmers back in the field. At the moment, you know, farmers are great machine operators. They could drive excavators. Mm. They could drive bulldozers. They could drive farm tractors. They're great machine operators. What we want to do is get farmers out of the cab of their machine with their feet back on the ground, dirt on their boots, being farmers again, not machinery operators. And that means that they'll be able to intervene and control their crops in far better ways than what they're doing now. It means that instead of being a machine operator, they're going to be a farmer and they'll be out managing their crops and doing things in much, much better ways. So how, if, if you are by profession a farmer, how did you get into robotics? Do you have an experience as well in robotics or did you bring someone on who understood what was going on with the robots? I suppose I've always had a fair technical bend to what I've done. I've always mm -hmm. been interested in electronic and me mechanical things. I probably should have done engineering at university, but I did agronomy, uh, which is crop science, crop doctor type stuff. Um, you know, and um, I guess, you know, and there's had experience as an agronomist in the field and then experience, you know, as, as, as a farmer. Um, I guess for me, I started thinking about this robotic things and what we could do. And I, I looked at, you know, for me, what was I going to do in my future? Um, you know, the opportunities to develop farmland and, 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 um, and do the sort of things that my parents did. Um, they bought, you know, farms that were, were virgin country effectively and created them into farmland. Mm -hmm. um, those opportunities are all gone now. Most of the you know, the country that was going to go into product, product into farming production is already in there. There's right. not a lot more to do unless we clear the Amazon and do things that no one wants to do. Right. There's, there are other tracks that can come into production, you know, the Argentina things, sorry, in the, in the Ukraine and things like that. But really for me, I thought, you know, what's the thing that really drives me and, and what, what can I do in life to make a difference? And, and um, there's this robotic thing. I kept coming back to it. This is going to be the real thing that can change agriculture, mm -hmm. can increase yields and, and do things more sustainably. So... Mm -hmm. I guess for me, I started off looking at um, military technology, thinking we could bring this technology across from the military into agriculture. Mm -hmm. I um, I spoke to you know a lot of people in the military scene and this sort of thing, um, and I guess in a long story cut short, I I'd also spoken to the to the mining and particularly mine of the future type stuff. Right. I, I, was, I was it was sort of put to me that Australia is actually quite advanced in autonomous technology, and a lot of that has come from the mining industry particularly, right. and there's some great expertise here. So. What I did is, is I formed a partnership with two universities, um, and um, and that was uh, the Australian Centre for Field Robotics at mm -hmm. the University of Sydney and yep. QUT in Brisbane, and um, we kicked off this robotic project to develop these these robots. And I suppose the unique thing about what we did is so much technology is is top down, where someone invents something really cool and tries to find a use for it. We were the other way. We came from the dirt up. I mean, you know, from the ground up. Um, you know, coming from farm and and having dirt on my boots to going out to the university saying, this is what we want to develop, this is the vision we've got, um, this is, the, I guess, the, what we see for the future of agriculture. And, and driven by need rather than by just, oh, this looks like a cool thing. Very much, yeah, yeah. And so, look, it's been the most amazing journey, I mean, for, you know, from off-farm to, to, to working with universities to other partners also around the country and, and um, you know, from a start-up, I guess, from the ground-up, it's been a fantastic journey. So you're about to launch your first robot, is that right? Yep, so um, we'll send out our first, I guess, early-stage products in, um, in uh, January next year. So it'll be in a, in a service industry. Um, it'll be a world first to deliver this sort of technology to agriculture. Mm -hmm. And it's bloody exciting to be part of that. So what do you mean by it's the service industry? 
So our first thing will be offer a service to farmers with our robots. Mm -hmm. um, and, um, you know, we realise it'll take a while for this technology to be mature enough to actually sell a product. Right. Um, so what we'll do is we'll, we'll, we'll start delivering this technology on a, on a, on a service, as a service industry. And that allows us to get this technology to agriculture quicker. And so what kind of service will a farmer be able to get from you? So at this stage, it'd be better ways to kill weeds. Mm -hmm. um, that's, that's, the, that's just the thing we're, we're aiming at at the moment. Behind that, there's a far, far bigger picture as we, as we grow into this business. Um, but um, that's the thing now. So there's a video that's on the website that I will actually post onto our Tumblr, which shows the robot going back and forth across the field and applying, very selectively applying the uh, weed killers. The, herbicides yes. right and so i presume through that then there's a lot less input of herbicide as a result right that's right yep yep you know and if you look at that technology that's you know somewhat commercially available technology but it's 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 applied much better by use of a robot beyond a level that we can do on a tractor or a or or, or existing tractors out there so what it's going to do is deliver practice change to agriculture this is new ways to to you know to apply herbicides mm -hmm. And if you look at things like the Great Barrier Reef catchment areas, which we're in mm. uh, in, in our particular farm, um, there's you know there's there's big problems there with 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 you know environmental concerns of, of agriculture and runoff and things like that, and you know to be able to deliver a practice change to industry is fantastic. So, do you expect? I mean, you, you'll have a couple of them out there. You'll have farmers using them as a service. You'll be learning from the farmers and improving the robots based on your experience from farmers. When do you see a point where a farmer will simply order a robot? Or do you think maybe in the future, farmers will actually just sort of, you know, rent the time on the robots they need for the task they need that day? Are you going to be sort of almost like an Uber for farm robotics? I think all those options are open. I mean, you know, it, this is a new industry. I mean, it's, it, it's, it's creating new farming systems and new farming techniques. And, you know, how that's, that, that technology is best delivered for agriculture is really... I think we're really going to uncover that in the next 18 months. So there's an impression, I think, that agriculture moves very slowly. And, and yet, at the same time, that's counterindicated by the fact that Australian farmers are really sort of, you know, bristling with technology. So do you think there's going to be resistance to this? Do you think once you make the value case, people will take it up very quickly? I think you've hit on something really important there. I mean, you know, agriculture is very traditional. Um, we're very lucky in Australia that, um, and some people would say not, but I'm very proud that Australian farmers aren't aren't subsidised. We stand on our own feet. Mm. There's no government checks. There's no payouts if your crop fails. You, you know, you wear it and you've got to be economical and you've got to be efficient and you've got to be switched on in your management. Add on top of that that we farm in the you know in the most variable um, climate in the world, right. you know the, on the driest island continent in the world. You know our far Australian farms are fantastic at what they do, and and because of that need drives innovation. So Australian farmers have always been some of the most innovative in the world and the quickest uptakers of new technology. So you know it, it, it's an interesting thing there. I see Australia as the pioneering grounds for this new technology. You know ultimately though this is a global market for this sort of technology. Australia is very small, so. I think Australia is a great place to you know build this technology and take it to the world from there. When do, I'm putting on your sort of crystal ball, when do you reckon that Swarm Farm will be ready to start to export? Look, you know we've we've got a we've got a um, you know a business plans out to about five six years. Um, I guess um, you know being a startup, things get a bit hazy after okay. about eighteen months. Yes. Right now, our priority is um, is to deliver this this new technology and prove it in the field. Um, and we're doing that in, in the Queensland and then spreading to other states in, in, in Australia. That's in our 18-month plan. Um, beyond there, um, yeah, we've got plans in place, but um, you know, as you know, with new technology, things move pretty quick and they don't always go the direction you think they're going to go. All right. 
I want to acknowledge the fact that the former premier of Queensland, Campbell Newman, is in studio with us right now. And it's, you know, it's very prominent on your page that he's the, the sort of chief advisor. How did that happen? How did you get someone with such stature on board, on a startup? That's very unusual. I suppose, um, you know, Campbell's been involved in agriculture for quite a while. I mean, he spent 10 years in the grain handling uh, system in, 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 in Queensland. Um, and I met him through the grains industry back in those days. Um, you know, with the robotic projects when we were at the universities, he came along and had a look at those. Mm-hmm. And, and so I caught up with him again then. Um, post the election, um, there, was a, um, <clears throat> there was an article in the paper uh, talking about what Campbell's going to do post-politics. And it. Um, and you had an idea. <laughs> <laughs> well, there was a comment there that he was interested in robotics. So I, I got in touch with him via LinkedIn and asked what he was up to. And that's sort of how it happened. Oh, that's brilliant. And uh, do you find that that's a good door opener as well, to have someone who's so high profile on the team? I think, you know, more than anything, to have someone who's so passionate about the technology we're working with, mm-hmm. um, you know, he has a really genuine interest in what we're doing and, and in tech and in startups. And, you know, that, that fits into our team. I mean, you know, th- this business has probably grown. Um, I really, I keep saying from the ground up, you know, we started very humbly from for, as farmers and have gone through doing, you know, projects with universities, sort of employing our own people. Um, and um, we've brought on one director um, earlier this year, um, and then Campbell came on this year, and you know it's, it's I wouldn't say it's planned or unplanned. It's just organically happened. So it's, yeah, it's been quite interesting. Hi right, Andrew, what does a farm look like in twenty years? Completely different. I mean, like, I, I keep coming back to this. We're not trying to automate agriculture. We're creating new farming systems, and you know this is going to change the way a, a farmer gets up in the morning, even thinks about what he's doing for the day. Um, this is about new field practices, and this is driving completely new farming systems beyond what we're what we're thinking of now. Andrew Bate, thank you very much for being on This Week in Startups Australia. Thanks very much, Mark. Without question, Australia is the hardest place on the planet to be a farmer. It's not just that the soils have no nutrients or that there's hardly any rain. There are no price supports to keep farms ticking over in lean years, and there are a lot of lean years. And yet, those obstacles are precisely the reasons Australian farmers are by far the most productive in the world. For a given input of water and nutrients, Australian farmers will produce more food than any other farmer anywhere. And so it's exactly those challenges which have given Australian ag tech companies the resourcefulness and the ingenuity they need to succeed on a global scale. AgWorld is already global, and it's easy to imagine a time in just a few years when both the yield and swarm farmer are also global ag tech enterprises. Agriculture is big business, and because of Australia's ag tech startups, software is about to eat that business too. If you want to see photos of our guests or find some links to the yield and ag world and swarm farm, drop by our Tumblr at twistartupsaus.tumblr.com. You'll also find previous episodes, articles, lots more stuff. Check it out at twistartupsaus.tumblr.com. Big thanks to series sponsors Braintree and Getworm. Their support makes this podcast possible. Thanks to Felix Wormuth and AnalogCabin.net for his hard work creating a podcast that is consistently lovely to listen to. Thanks again to Roz Harvey, Doug Fitch, and Andrew Bate for making the time to come on our show. We'll be back in a fortnight with a report from up north. Until then, this is Mark Pesci thanking you for listening to This Week in Startups Australia.